Welcome to KiteLine, a weekly radio program from WFHB that focuses on issues in Indiana's prison system and beyond. Behind the prison walls, a message is called a kite. Whispered words, a note passed hand to hand, a request submitted to the guards for medical care. Illicit or not, sending a kite means trusting that other people will bear it farther along until it reaches its destination. Here on KiteLine, we hope to share these words across the prison walls. Before we get started with this week's theme, we want to share some prison-related news. In New Albany, Indiana, former inmates at the Floyd County Jail have just been awarded a settlement in a lawsuit against the county commissioners and former Sheriff Darrell Mills. Over $1.2 million will be divided between more than 30 people who were incarcerated in the jail between 2012 and 2014. The recipients filed the lawsuit in response to widespread mistreatment of inmates by guards, ranging from deprivation of clothing and hygienic products to physical abuse, tasing, and pepper spray. Former Sheriff Mills claims that the Floyd County Jail was operating under standard procedure and that its staff were following the same guidelines as any other corrections facility. However, since the lawsuit was filed, a number of policy changes have been put into place, including additional training requirements for corrections officers. As of April 1st, the Indiana Department of Corrections is no longer accepting any correspondence for inmates that is on colored paper or enclosed in colored envelopes. Incoming correspondence must be in a plain white envelope and the letter inside must be on originally purchased plain white lined paper. Greeting cards are not permissible. Photos are permissible, but photocopies are not. All letters must be handwritten. Inmates are asking family members and supporters to protest this new policy, which prohibits incarcerated people from receiving typed letters, political documents, or even drawings from their children. The inmates point out that it's hard for elderly family members with arthritis and other medical conditions to handwrite letters. Typing is the only way they can correspond. The inmates claim that the policy is also aimed to eradicate political education material that intends to educate, agitate, and organize prisoners. The inmates say the new policy is a blatant case of censorship and repression from the state. The IDOC says it will see how the new policy goes from April to October before putting it into effect permanently. The inmates say public outcry and resistance from people on the outside are critical. Anyone interested in supporting the prisoner's struggle is encouraged to attend the upcoming rally outside of the Department of Corrections headquarters in downtown Indianapolis on Friday, August 11th at 11 a.m. In this episode of KiteLine, we cover the recent demonstrations outside the workhouse in St. Louis, Missouri. On July 21st, police there used pepper spray to disperse 300 people protesting conditions in a medium security jail called the Hall Medium Security Facility, known popularly as the workhouse. The demonstrators demanded that the jail be closed as prisoners inside chanted and held up banners through the bars. The noise demo was called partially because the workhouse doesn't have air conditioning and prisoners have regularly suffered temperatures well over 100 degrees. One of the protesters held a sign that said, quote, we treat animals better, unquote. But many participants also linked the struggle for humane conditions to a broader struggle against prison as an institution. A 2009 report by the American Civil Liberties Union accused the jail of allowing inmate assaults, sexual harassment, negligent medical care, and squalid conditions. The city's poorest residents who are unable to afford bail stay in the jail for months. This week, we weave together first-hand accounts from several unconnected people who are at the workhouse noise demo. So St. Louis City operates two prisons. They have the Justice Center downtown, which is where you get taken when you're arrested. And then they have the workhouse, or what is referred to as the workhouse, which is actually called the Hall Street Medium Security Prison. It used to function solely as a workhouse for people to work off their sentence. And now serves as a holdover for people going to serve sentences in other places. 
and it also serves essentially as a debtor's prison where people who have been arrested but can't bond out are held until trial, sometimes for years. It's notoriously filthy, infested with roaches, rats, mold. The workhouse is the holdover jail where, like, if you can't afford bail from anything from, like, a, a parking ticket that you had a warrant on or something more intense, mostly just really small, nonviolent offenses. You're awaiting trial, basically, and usually, you know, you, if you can afford bail, you can get out and await trial and that out in the open outside, but a lot of people can't afford bail, and so they, they get sent there and sometimes can wait months and months to even, like, I've heard of people being in there for two to three years only to be acquitted for whatever, you know. So it's just, it's part and parcel of, like, a of a justice system that takes forever and ever to, like, spit people out. And it's, you know, everybody in there is, except for, like, maybe a couple dozen people who have been sentenced to, like, less than two years are in there awaiting trial or awaiting to get bailed out or awaiting a plea or whatever. And it's overcrowded, too. In 2012, there was a, a civil suit filed against the city because guards were found to have been forcing inmates to fight in a sort of like gladiator-style fighting, locking them in cells and forcing them to fight. And then in 2013, the prison was named by the U.S. Department of Justice as one of the highest-ranking prisons in the country with reported sexual abuse. So we've done a lot of noise demos at the past at Hall Street. The most recent one was sparked by the fact that there was a heat wave in St. Louis over the weekend with temperatures reaching 108 on Saturday. And they don't, obviously, it's a, like most buildings in St. Louis, it's just it's a concrete and brick building without any shade, as far as shade trees go. We called a noise demo to just highlight the conditions. We were standing in solidarity with the prisoners as well as trying to bring awareness to the lack of air conditioning to the building. They had prisoners there or inmates there complaining that at times the temperature reached well over 105 degrees inside the cells and they had no way of uh, cooling themselves down. There's a report from a news reporter and the building is made out of brick and there's no air conditioning in the men's side of the jail. And so temperatures, if it's 100 degrees outside, inside of this brick building, the temperatures are five to 10 degrees higher. And family members who had, who were visiting folks inside had, you know, been hearing from their, from their, you know, family member that they were too hot, that they actually have like a temperature gauge inside some of the blocks that tell them how hot it is in there. And they were like seeing like 109, 112. People who organize against the police and prisons in St. Louis, there are definitely people involved in that struggle that have family inside the city system. And so people kind of like trickling back information that their loved ones were telling them how horrible it was inside. And then it's also just notorious for being a really wretched place. It got a lot more press locally than Hall Street normally does. I think that's for a couple of reasons. One, a reporter actually broke a story about the heat, like that he had been going by, that he had been traveling down Hall Street and like heard inmates yelling for help. And so it got published in the paper 
first and foremost before we even called for a noise demo. In response to that video, some folks made a uh, Facebook event to basically have a, a noise demonstration where we just make a bunch of noise outside. And this had this had been done three times before, I think, two or three times before, and uh, with a lot of success because the video shows that you can hear people from the outside of the prison, from the jail. So, like, when we've gone before, like, we've been able to communicate with folks inside to some degree or at least they can hear us making noise and we can hear them making noise and uh, just thought it would be, like, a good way to apply pressure on the city to do something about this just by literally just, like, making connection with the inmates and, like, building some kind of, like, ethic of, like, we got your back. The Facebook event got around pretty far and wide. Media picked it up. A lot of the people who, like, hosted it were posting it to any, basically any, like, comment about the workhouse that they could find from whoever was posting it. So just, like, hey, like, you're mad about this, post it in their comic section, comment section, or, like, hey, your family member is in here, post it in the comment section, you should come. Or, like, some people who have had family members, like, die in the jail or have been brutalized in the jail, like, trying to seek those people out just to be like, hey, like, there's people going to this place that you probably don't like or hate, and you should come. And so I think that made it a very, like, diverse and wide-ranging crowd of people, like, both racially and, like, experientially, Mm -hmm. like, people just, like, who've had different experiences in the jails. It's a mix of your general political activist folks, but then also, like, just, like, people who, like, felt inspired enough to come from wherever they come from. Protesters showed up, many of them Ferguson veterans. Yeah, yeah, most of them I already knew. Uh, maybe about 80% of them I already knew. And the other 20% I probably had seen before, but I didn't know them personally. Surprisingly, the jail authorities let us get close. And I wasn't expecting that. I think they just assumed that it was going to be like a pretty like tame protest. And, you know, they let us pretty close and then people just kept getting closer and closer to the to a to the first perimeter of the first perimeter fence of the jail and eventually started rocking it and we could hear folks inside you know chanting in unison like we're too hot we're too hot or like we need ice we need ice and even some folks in one part of the jail had made a banner that said help um, so people had like, well, seemingly a lot of people were very into it in the inside and were willing to risk like getting into some amount of trouble to like put pressure as well on this on the jail to do something for them. Evidently, we caught them by surprise on our initial arrival at the protest, and there was like zero security out there. So we were able to get as close as to the uh, security fence as possible. And as more people showed up, uh, by the time the police got there, it was too late. You know, they couldn't really separate us between the fence. So we got to get as close to the fence and shake on the fence for at least maybe an hour, if not two. And they were able to shake, you know, protesters were able to shake the fence so much that they got the bottom part of the fence to give way. And protesters were able to 
roll under the fence and get to the second level of the fencing. And some protesters were even climbing up on that second level of, of security fence, uh, screaming and hollering and chanting with the, the inmates that were, um, you know, shouting out their cell windows. Noise demos are always loud and cacophonous, and it was really rowdy. There are lots of bangings of pots and pans, and people had air horns and bells, and people were able to get up to the first perimeter fence around the Hall Street prison, which means we we're on their property. And they have let that happen for a long time. I don't know if they'll let that happen in the future, but they have let that happen for quite a long time where we can actually get up to the first perimeter fence. And so people are gathered to the fence. And one of the things that is just so amazing about that is that we can communicate directly with prisoners inside. They are able to open their windows. They're barred and meshed usually, but both barred and meshed, but they are able to open their windows. And so we can communicate with them during noise demos. And at one point, people could hear them singing. We couldn't quite make out what they're singing, but they're, they're shouting, they're singing, they're shouting, help us. There's no clean water. They make a banner at some point and put it out of the window that just reads help. A lot of people were able to see us. There's some, there's some windows that you can just totally see people in their faces, but then there's some windows that have, like, sort of metal shutters on them that are open, but they're tilted in such a way that you just can't see inside. There were definitely at least folks who were out at the protest who had been in there, like somebody that I knew had even just had gotten out that morning. And they were just ecstatic that people were even considering coming to the jail. And there were family members, too, that were, like, really touched by the fact that folks would even, like, think about anybody in a jail, you know, where you just, like, that's not something you really think about in society. That's some, a place where you, where people are put away. That day was really beautiful. There were a lot of people there that don't normally come to things I think we crested at around 300 people. Um, somebody from the Coalition Against Police Crimes and Repression did an account. Um, and people were a lot more assertive and aggressive than they normally are. And I think that's for a, a number of reasons. Things have continually slowly changed since Ferguson happened here and that there has been more and more radicalized people and radicalized views. And in some ways, that hole has been filled, unfortunately, by the socialist alternative because anarchists choose to really not have a very public presence in St. Louis for a number of reasons. But there are a lot of fairly radical young people around who I think were radicalized either during Ferguson or in the aftermath of Ferguson and watching continue, like watching people continue to build some sort of movement. So there's a really strong sentiment in St. Louis um, against prisons and against police. And I think the reason, one of the reasons that people are were also able to come out to this is because like the inhumane conditions, there's no longer guilt or culpability associated with that. Because once you're in their system, you're no longer making your own choices. Whereas opposed to like certain things in St. Louis that happen don't always get reacted to because guilt and culpability is a big issue. And so if there are guns or if there are drugs involved, a lot of people who kind of are more like left-leaning or activist don't want to touch it. But I think one of the reasons that this is was so big is, A, it's so hot and everybody is experiencing that together, right? Like we're all experiencing that it is 108 degrees, this, you know, in this city built with brick. So it's unbelievably hot. And it's all, it's like, so it's like also something that we're all suffering through together. And then 
the reality that there's people like locked inside who are suffering that and it's hotter in there because they don't have any access to resources to alleviate their condition. Their main objective was to separate us from the fence and they really didn't know how to do it without escalating the situation. So they waited, it seems like to me, they waited to, um, to the cover, they tried to operate under the cover of darkness. As, as the sun started to go down, I believe they started to move a little closer to protesters. At one time, the police and protesters were on the fence almost simultaneously. They were able to even put police behind the first level of fencing. So they were actually pushing people off the fence and hollering at them and asking them to get back. But it didn't work. It didn't work. And then about the time it got um, completely dark, if you will, and then that's when they, they moved in and they were able to create a barrier between protesters and the first level of fencing. And eventually people were somehow or another, I think through like some amount of like people taking out the class of the fence that attached to the fence poles, like were just like rocking the fence so that the fence from the bottom was like just totally disconnected from the poles and people were just like more or less breaking down the fence and it sort of just escalated and the police were not prepared and it took them quite a while to like actually come and deal with this and uh even when they did it was you know at first it was two of them and then it was five and it was 12 then it was 40 to 50 and by for the those first few, few waves like they kept getting pushed out by people and they were just like not sure what the hell to do and then eventually they made inroads and you know blocked people from the fence um people had people had uh crawled under the fence at one point and like were in the like perimeter zone in between another fence and were get just got even closer to the jail and uh but they those folks were able to you know get out and not get get into any trouble but after that the police came and blocked us from the first fence and sort of like there's just a lot of like back and forth between protesters and police and uh eventually police in face shields helmets and Baton showed up and we're on the other side of the fence sort of like trying to stop people from rocking the fence and uh with little success for a while and then um police with like actual shields face masks and batons showed up and like barged in front of a an existing line of police that didn't have any of those things and like made enough that there was two lines in front of us so then they proceeded to push us back through like quite a bit of force and people weren't really having that and uh so the police maced basically like just full range of the whole line of us maced everybody and then that sort of like was a general chaos and people were basically blinded and uh we all kind of like ran back and had to regroup and just like take care of each other. And there was a lot of like people helping each other out and like, you know, none, nobody expected it to escalate in such a way. So there wasn't any preparation for like 
mace or anything like that. So there was a lot of water bottles and people were just helping each other wash wash the mace out of their eyes, but it was having little success. And the police were slowly moving towards us because we were still on the property and eventually they pushed us all back to the street and it sort of dispersed from there. At one point, you know, you, 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 you know, a lot of one of the techniques uh, protesters use is just um, trying to, I guess, gourd police into a uh, social response by saying things, um, by shouting, sometimes not really obscenities, but just asking them general questions. Why do you care? Why are you down here? Why are you working with the enemy? Just trying to get a response out of them. At this point, they've, um, they've somewhat mastered their training. I give it to them through experience. A lot of them don't respond. You know, they don't respond that much. But when you get them to respond, you know, they stick to the Nazi line that uh, we're just doing our job. You know, we really don't care about the situation. It looked like you all got the attention you wanted. Why don't you just go home? But I don't know why the police care. But when they come, they'll just say we were called and we're just trying to now protect the fence or something like that. People are gathered up on that fence making a whole lot of racket. And people, when it kind of starts to become unclear about what's going to happen next or what we should do next because everything has a, a point where something something else needs to happen. People start to really shake and, like, really push the fence. And the police are very, they're, they're held very far back. They're really holding themselves back. And they're letting this happen. And eventually some of the class get loose and there's a gap in the fence. A few people slip under the fence and there's a second perimeter fence between the first one and the prison and people climb it and kind of shout and shout with and talk a little bit with inmates and then scurry back under the fence before they're arrested. Um, at that point, they do set a line in between the two fences, and people continue to just, like, shout and be really aggressive and troll and harass the officers that are right up on the line. And then eventually, they set a line of cops between the first fence and people. They kind of like slowly move their way in. They're very, very slowly and commonly move their way in. And then again, like they get, they take this antagonism right in the face for a while before they eventually decide that things need to end. And then they bring in a row of riot cops between the first line of police and the row of demonstrators. And they hold that line for a while and let people be right up on that line for a while, and then they start to push the line back. Um, as they push the line back, people just are, people don't take it. They won't be cowed. They won't move back. Um, there are some tussles, and at one point, there is uh, one arrest. And then as they push people back and people push back against them, they do use pepper spray to clear the yard. And so a bunch of people got pepper sprayed. Everybody falls back, and then we eventually make our way out of the parking lot. Hall Street's been blocked off this entire time. They blocked the street off pretty early on in the evening, the police did. And then, so we're in the street for a while, and then eventually we gather on the embankment across the street from the prison. And so Hall Street is a very, so the, the prison is nestled, like, in this wasteland of industry north on the river. And so Hall Street is a four-lane street. It is very, very busy. It's often used for racing and there's no sidewalks, and so people gather on the embankment across the street and just kind of troll and yell and scream for a while before things eventually wind down. Something that we've learned, too, that the darker it gets, the more aggressive they get. 
So as things got later and it got darker, you know, they were in, um, I, don't, I wouldn't say total ride gear, but semi-ride gear, which they just had shields and sticks. You know, they didn't really have the knee pads and, you know, total arm and leg protection, or for that matter, not even full helmets, some of them, which I would consider full riot gear. So then they started just, okay, you're being on the fence line too long. We just time to just start pushing back a little bit. And as they continue to push back a little bit, you know, maybe one step at a time, two steps at a time and protesters, you know, just return the level of tension by pushing back. And of course, you know, when two sides are pushing back and both and forth, like a little tug of war game going on, you know, when, as soon as one person falls, you know, it just gives another side a little more leverage and they just push harder and that's what happened. And, you know, uh, they were able to kind of break the protesters up. And then once the police kind of broke up a few of the protesters line, the police line also broke too. And that's when someone like on the far end just started again, Mason indiscriminately. And he caught the pr protesters were basically on the, uh, the east side of the, the protest line, if you will. And that's when the, you know, it started breaking up because it was, uh, it was not mace, I just call it, it was actually pepper spray. Cause yeah, I, got, I got pepper spray, some went in my nose, a little in my eye, burned on my lip and burned on my arm. But a couple of guys, it got really good. They've learned and we've also learned. And there's, there's no doubt about it. They're getting very good at what they do. And we, we also have to improve and come up with better techniques also, because I saw one, one guy, one officer, he just bolted unprovoked because he just showed up on the scene. Uh, four of them were inside an SUV and it was a guy who was on the uh, passenger side rear seat. He bolted out of uh, the SUV and just ran at protesters with a mace can ready to spray. I mean, you could see it in his eyes. He was unprovoked. He was, he was just arriving on the scene and one tall um, lieutenant, this is a female, and she stopped him in his tracks, you know? And she was like, hey, what are you doing? Don't, you know, go back to the car. And, and um, because he was running, he triggered other officers to kind of run in his direction and she caught them, you know, and say, hey, what are you doing? Don't do this go back to the car. They didn't go back to the car, but she stopped them. And you know, that's part of something that she learned is like, hey, you know, all you're gonna do is es escalate this thing to a higher tension than it already is. The city has responded by saying that they are allegedly renting air conditioners for immediate relief of the prison. We have a new mayor for the first time in almost 20 years in St. Louis. She's very, she wants to be presented as very liberal, left-leaning for the people sort of politician. So we'll see what comes of, of that. And then additionally, like one of the things that this, this noise demo ties into, and the reason that I think that they're actually trying to at least appear that they are acting on it is because the Missouri Highway State Patrol has been recently, the beginning of July, introduced into the city to patrol the highways because it's work that the city cops just couldn't do, that they're too overstretched. And within the first week, they've written over 700 tickets and arrested 53 people on warrants. And I think that what they're looking at coming down the line is that they're going to have even more people flooding the system. And so in addition to purchasing or renting air conditioners, they're also supposedly the Board of Aldermen, which is like the St. Louis City Council, is also supposedly trying to push through legislation to no longer hold people who can't bail out until trial. So those are like the official responses 
to, to what's happened so far. The city, in response, are renting portable air conditioning units. My understanding is it's like $40,000 a month, and it's like a, a unit that, I, from what I can tell, is like a, has a bunch of like pipes coming out of it, and it's just like almost like a movable air ducts of AC, and that's supposedly going to be installed like within the next day to two days. Clearly, like they're trying to accommodate the protests and it's going to, it, it literally is going to, it's going to change the conditions drastically, but in terms of air, it feels like a victory in some way, but also is like only a very small mm. victory compared to like what the workhouse actually is as a, as an institution, what it actually uh, promotes or like enforces, you know, which is like a, a debtor's, prison, a poorhouse where people go and can't get out and have to deal with all sorts of horrible things inside. This has been KiteLine. Anyone affected by the prison system in any form is welcome to write us via our P.O. Box, KiteLine Radio, P.O. Box 2422, Bloomington, Indiana, 47402. You can hear previous episodes of our show or get more information on the prisoners or stories covered on KiteLine at our website, kitelineradio.noblogs.org. You can also find our podcast on iTunes. KiteLine is intended as a means of communication between people across prison walls. We are not responsible for all views expressed on the program. WFHB, its contributors, or any affiliates airing this program are not responsible for the views expressed on the show. This has been KiteLine. Join us every Friday at 5.30 p.m. for more stories, news, and insights about the impact of prison on our communities. Thank you for listening.